from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. To do a wage survey, you would watch a non-disabled person do a given task, let's say boxing up masks or something, for an hour. And if that non-disabled person boxed up 10 boxes of masks in an hour and the disabled person boxed up five, they would receive half whatever the going rate was. Some of them said that this was important to them, that they did want to stay there. They actually strongly supported it and in fact said they'd be devastated if the workshops went away. I'm Danny Wisentowski. In recent years, many states have moved away from the use of sheltered workshops. These employ disabled adults and, in theory, are intended to prepare them to enter the regular workforce. Except in Missouri. Here, these workers rarely graduate to higher-paying jobs or independence, and so they stay in these roles, earning an average of just $4 an hour. They stay in these jobs for years and sometimes decades. And as it turns out, this is the system that Missouri officials prefer. A new investigation published today from the Kansas City Beacon and ProPublica Local Reporting Network reports that more than 5,000 disabled adults are employed in Missouri's sheltered workshops. Over the last five years, just 2.3 percent have graduated to their own independent jobs. And here to talk with us about that investigation and about Missouri's sheltered workshops is the author of that investigation. That is Madison Hopkins, who is the health accountability reporter for the Kansas City Beacon. Madison, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Madison, sheltered workshops have been around this country for a very long time, but Missouri uses them in this particular way, a way not seen in other states. Tell us a bit about what you found. Yes, and you know, you touched on it a bit earlier, but they are very old. Sheltered workshops and seven-room wages have been allowed for more than 80 years. And one of the original intents of those programs was that they be temporary and help people with disabilities learn some skills and move on or graduate to the regular workforce. Um, Yet in Missouri, that that rarely happens. And a big part of that is because the state does not view its sheltered workshop program as a training program, but rather exclusively for employment. If people just so happen to move on to the regular workforce, that's great. But if they want to remain in the workshops earning less than minimum wage for their entire adult lives, state officials believe it should be their choice to do so. Mm -hmm. And what do we know about, about the workshops themselves? What are they making and are they turning a profit? Sure. So a lot of these workshops are like any other light manufacturing assembly line you might see. Um, They're all over the state. We've got 97 operating locations here in Missouri, which is second only to Illinois. And they are turning a profit, yes, in the sense that for the most part, these workshops rely on their own business models to be successful in selling the goods and services they provide. They do receive some additional state funding, uh, but overall, they are supporting themselves. And how long do people tend to stay in these workshops? So we found quite a long time. Uh, We looked at the employment numbers and found that nearly half have been there for a decade or longer, and 20% of the more than 5,000 disabled adults who work in these workshops have been there for two decades or longer. 
And and you you spoke to some of the people who did work in these workshops and their family, and you did find that you know although they were not graduating, they were not going on to their own independent jobs. Some of them said that this was important to them, that they did want to stay there. What, what did you find? Yes, that was a very interesting finding as part of this investigation is, as you said in your intro, that there's many states um, that are moving away from sheltered workshops and there's national disability uh, advocates who are calling for an end to sheltered workshops at the national level, saying that they're discriminatory or exploitative. So we were surprised that when we started speaking with many of the sheltered workshop employees and their families, they actually strongly supported it and in fact said they'd be devastated if the workshops went away. But as we kept talking to them, we spoke with dozens of people who work in the workshops and their families, we learned a kind of important context to this. And that was that many of them weren't saying that they viewed it as a realistic option between working in the community or working in a sheltered workshop. They viewed it as working in a sheltered workshop or doing nothing at all. And that wasn't because they didn't have the skills to work in a regular job at or above minimum wage. In fact, many of them had done so before. But rather, they were pointing to external barriers that were keeping them from succeeding in the regular uh, regular jobs, such as they couldn't secure transportation to and from their job. Or mainly for people in more rural areas, they talked about there just not being enough opportunities or employers who are willing to take on disabled adults. And, and Madison, this, this is such an interesting point you bring up because so much of, of what struck me about your reporting is that that situation you just described, that the sheltered workers here in Missouri, they, they don't, you know, the reasons perhaps for the low graduation numbers, the difficulty of transportation, mm-hmm. the difficulty of making those connections to get their, their independent jobs, other states bridge that gap because they're taking federal money that are helping them get these people out of these workshops to bridge those programs. But that just doesn't exist in Missouri. Tell us a bit about the the connection between the way that Missouri rejects federal support and funding for these workshops to the way that these workshops are limited in Missouri. Right. So while Missouri does accept federal funding for some disability services in other ways, it doesn't accept any for its sheltered workshop program. And experts have told me that we're the only state in the country to do it that way. And part of the reason why the people I've interviewed about this suspect suspect that is the case is because some of the federal dollars that are used to support sheltered workshops in other states come with certain rules and ties, you know, essentially requiring that those states work towards helping their sheltered workshop employees graduate. And by Missouri not accepting those funds, it can bypass those rules. And, you know, when we're seeing other states that are really taking advantage of some of these funds that are available to help their sheltered workshop people move on, they're investing in breaking down some of those at uh, employment barriers that sheltered workshop employees express to us, you know, working with more employers in the communities to help them understand and be prepared to hire on disabled adults, providing transportation options, providing job coaching to people. And we're just not seeing Missouri take advantage of those systems in the same way. Just uh, earlier this year in September, the U.S. Department of Education, in fact, announced $177 million in grants going out to 14 different states for programs just like that to help people who are in subminimum wage move on. And Missouri didn't even apply. You know, it's just startling. You know, it was just, I believe, last summer that Missouri lawmakers passed a measure um, to mm-hmm. develop a system that allows these facilities to pay below minimum wage. Why is Missouri so attached to this system? 
You know, that's a very good question. And we are, as you know, one advocate told me, said Missouri is a diehard uh, for their sheltered workshop system. And a big part of that, I'll say, is that there is this support among the community members and many of the uh, legislators that I've spoken with um, hear that from their constituents and they want it to continue. But we're also just not seeing the investment in these alternative options that are really showing people that they'd have another way, that there is something else besides the workshops out there. So in reality, that is the case for so many people where if we just ripped the rug out from underneath them and they didn't have sheltered workshops, they would be sitting at home. So until we're kind of building out those alternative options for people, I think that support's going to remain for a long time. Madison, you you did interview a couple Missouri officials, including those directly involved in this program. What did they tell you? They said they really don't see a problem with this. They, Like I said, that they believe, contrary to programs everywhere else in the country, Missouri's sheltered workshop program isn't about training. It's about work. So there's no need to do anything different right now. And a lot of them also said that they're taking their guidance from the legislation. And since, as you mentioned, just last year, so sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, just last year that the Missouri State Legislature passed uh, an additional law kind of doubling down on our support for the program. We're talking with Madison Hopkins, who is the health accountability reporter for the Kansas City Beacon. Uh, Her investigation, which was just published today in partnership with ProPublica Local Reporting, is titled Missouri Allows Some Disabled Workers to Earn Less Than $1 an Hour. The state says it's fine if that never changes. And Madison, I did want to talk to you a bit about um, this pay issue. Um, You write in the piece um, that there is a, a specific process for determining the pay that these workers earn. And it's not just a salary. They're actually, uh, it's a process called wage surveys. Um, if, if you've got a handle on, on the dog over there, which is okay, yes, tell us about what, so what are these wage surveys and how do those, how is that different from perhaps any other job one would be at? Right. So this is really interesting and something that what many disability advocates point to and say is discriminatory and it's so something that a non-disabled person would never be asked to do. And essentially, how an hourly wage is determined for a seven wage employee in a sheltered workshop is their productivity is measured against that of a non-disabled person. And that's done, like you said, through a wage survey. So for example, we would, to do a wage survey, you would watch a non-disabled person do a given task, let's say boxing up masks or something, for an hour. And if that non-disabled person boxed up 10 masks, 10 boxes of masks in an hour, and then the disabled person did the same and they only boxed up five, they would receive half whatever the going rate was for that task. And it's something that they're asked to do every six months to kind of re-up to show their productivity. And this this process, though, it strikes me that, you know, if this was a program that was aiming to get people, you know, out of these sheltered workshops into independent living, there perhaps could be a, a greater defense of this kind of wage survey. But but for this to be a permanent situation, um, is that a is there a discord there? Can can they really maintain this without ever helping people get out of these situations to get to a regular wage? Right. And that, that's the issue a lot of people bring in, uh, bring up when talking about sheltered workshops is that, first off, we're talking about doing tasks that 
maybe are not necessarily preparing people for the regular job force in general. And second, when we're continuing to have them do these wage surveys and continuing to prove their productivity, if we are not seeing productivity improve, I think many people would see that as a sign as something isn't working or, you know, they need additional guidance or, you know, any sort of accommodations that are much more common nowadays than when sheltered workshops first began many decades ago to help them bulk up that productivity. And the fact that we're not seeing that is another kind of big argument what people would say is against sheltered workshops and a clear indicator that they're not learning. They're not learning and moving on and getting the skills they need to live you know, more fuller lives outside of the workshops. Madison, we mentioned earlier that there are states that have phased these sheltered workshops out. What are they replacing them with? These states are then prioritizing programs that help people find and keep jobs in the regular workforce, which is something that, you know, much more progressive attitudes now about what disabled adults can and should be able to do. And most people would say that given the proper accommodations, there should be no reason that anybody who wants a job couldn't keep a job out in the regular workforce. And some of those accommodations might be, you know, exactly what you would think of when you think of a wheelchair for somebody or a ramp for somebody in a wheelchair. But... Or it could be something like um, an on-site job coach that is helping somebody with intellectual or developmental disabilities during their first few weeks or months get up to speed on training and understanding what their job responsibilities are. And, or, or, you know, even just helping people learn about, before they start a job, uh, general rules of professionalism and how to interact with their coworkers and supervisors. All of those things have shown great success in helping people uh, you know, not just have to rely on those supports indefinitely, but get those supports, get a job and keep it and move away from even needing any any sort of additional help from the system. Now, in Missouri, those kind of resources um, just don't exist. But there, there are agencies um, in Missouri government that are supposed to be helping disabled adults, you know, become more independent. And one of the really shocking details I think you wrote in your story is that while other states um, you know, their equivalent programs will do, you know, one-on-one guidance. They'll help these folks out. In Missouri, I think it was once or twice a year, they assemble them in a room and they watch a video. And, and that's it. That's the, 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 the culmination of helping them get out of these sheltered workshops. Is that really the, the end of the support that they get, a video? Right. Yeah. What you're mentioning is um, the required counseling that went into effect by a new federal law called the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, which part of that was meant specifically to help people move on from subminimum wage to employment in regular jobs. And the requirement was that all subminimum wage employees receive counseling on what their options are. And it's supposed to really help them make a decision about if they want to stay in a sheltered workshop or if they want to move on, and if so, how we can do that with them. And research has shown that the best way to interact with people with a wide range of disabilities is to do so on a one-on-one basis and to really answer any sort of direct concerns that individual might have. And we've seen some states that have had a bit more success with these, like mentioned in Minnesota, doing that one-on-one conversation. Yet in Missouri, the way that this is carried out is done through, you mentioned, a group session where a video is shown. And there's not been much success of people coming out of those and really wanting to take on other opportunities and wanting to explore the resources that are available to them because we do have some resources available. Um, They're just a bit harder to access in Missouri and not as widespread. Yeah, and that's just the system Missouri prefers, uh, it seems, keeping Mm -hmm. these, these adults in these sheltered workshops. 
Madison, thank you so much for being here to share your reporting with us. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Avery Rogers. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.